0: I want to invite you to open your Bibles. If you have it or your phones, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, that's where we're going to begin. Uh, you can pull out your sermon notes if you have them. If you don't have sermon notes, raise your hand and someone will bring some sermon notes to you. And as you do that, I want to remind you of the first question that I asked you in this series, and that was, what guides your life? That was the question we began with, what guides your life? Because everybody is guided by someone or something, and so we just really unpacked that question. And so for the past eight weeks, we've gone over eight different verses, uh, and they're on the back of your sermon notes. So if you flip over the back of your sermon notes, you're going to see... Uh, Eight verses. We're at the bottom. You'll see uh, today's verse that we're going to talk about, uh, Ephesians 5 1. But those eight verses, and the whole heart behind this series was that you would uh, study and to memorize those verses and use those verses in your life. And so I put a little bit of a kind of an idea of when you may swing that sword. And when the Holy Spirit, you may invite him to swing that sword through you and in you. And so I hope that's helpful for you. And I'm not going to test you on it, but I just hope that, um, and I pray that you do take this wholeheartedly and begin to speak and declare God's word in your life. One of the things, um, uh, as we're kind of transitioning into today's talk in Ephesians, Uh, One of the things I was reminded of while spending some time with my kids on uh, vacation and extended time together, just us hanging out, was that they're really good imitators. And um, if you're a parent, um, then you know this is true. There are times that they imitate you and you're like, I'm so glad you imitate me. And then there are times that they imitate you and you're like... I wish I, I need to reconsider what I'm doing and how I'm talking. And um, so I'm going to show you a, a first photo. Well, this is uh, my youngest son, our youngest son, uh, Nathan. And uh, doesn't that look just like me? And so he, he comes out and he's got his glasses, he takes my glasses and he puts them on. And what you may not know, because you're not in my house, I'm always, uh, don't have my shirt on all the time. And um, So he comes out, you know, shirt off, you know, glasses on. I just thought this kind of funny photo. And then when we're on vacation, I'm not quite sure who he was imitating, uh, but we'll show this one. Can you you make that? Yeah, so I have a whole video of the whole turnaround. I just decided to save you from that image. But we're actually at Animal Kingdom here, and so I just figured maybe he's trying to imitate the animals or something. Uh, Adam going back into the wilderness. That's... But I was trying to create, he's just a wild man, you know, for the Lord. I don't know. I was creating all kinds of possibilities in my mind. But um, I think about this, and, and it goes in context to today, that uh, children are natural imitators. And they often do just what they see their, their parents do or other adults do or siblings do. And this is the background to which Paul is going to write this letter and to Ephesus, And this is the background to kind of what he's going to lean into in chapter 4, chapter 5, which we'll talk about. So we're going to begin chapter 4, verse 17. Paul writes this to a church in Ephesus. He says, so I tell you this. Now, I'm a big fan of like underlining and highlighting in the Bible, that kind of thing. So this is an important word. I tell you this, which we'll talk about in just a second. And insist on it in the Lord that you no longer live as Gentiles do. So he's going to say, here's the this don't live like Gentiles do anymore, in, their, in the futility of their thinking, which we'll unpack in just a second. So I'll put verse 14, we'll go backwards just a minute, so we can see, anytime you're reading the scripture, so I tell you this, or therefore, or but, or something kind of connecting the dot, I think it's important to go back and kind of read through what's he talking about. So I tell you this, so here's 14 through 15, kind of gives us an idea of what he's talking about in chapter four, which he's really summarizing chapters one, two, and three. But in chapter four, verse 14, he says, then we, notice key words, we, speaking to the church, we will no longer be infants tossed in back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect. Now, this is the key phrase I want to kind of focus in on the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. So Paul is addressing, I think, two parts of the church. One, yes, the whole body of Christ, but he's also writing this letter to the specific church in Ephesus, so there's some specificity, specific, what's the word? Specificity, is that right? Okay, good, just drawing your attention in. I, I mispronunciated that on purpose. So, But um, so he's just saying, there's specific believers that I want to focus this in on, and I think that's where he's kind of communicating to us today, in how they're conducting themselves as a local body. So that's kind of the, the seat I want you to sit in today, that us at Brave would be willing to sit as the audience of this letter, how are we doing as a local body not looking at other local bodies but but how are we doing in the local body right here at brave and this is where Paul is addressing and there's a tendency for Christians and I think this is what he's trying to allude to a tendency for Christians for you and for me oftentimes is that we want to say things like this hey I'm just like you And normally we say that because we're trying to maybe, you know, fit in or we don't want to be seen a little differently or we're trying to get some form of acceptance or approval maybe depending on the scenario that we're in. But you hear that, you know, language used often uh, from even Christians, hey, I'm just like you. I'm no different. I'm just like you. Which Paul is making a case that the truth is a Christian is different. We're actually not just like the world. We're different and that's the case that he's going to make. He says we're a mature body. So go back to verse 17. So he writes with that in mind, I tell you this, insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So Paul is wanting these people to know there's a difference now that you have Christ inside of you. And since you know Christ, there's a difference in the way that we conduct ourselves, or there should be, or there ought to be a difference. And Paul is simply telling them, since you have been saved, I expect you to live differently than the unsaved. So saved people do live differently than unsaved, and we have to be okay with that reality, that truth, which is what Paul is driving into and at the heart of his letter to Ephesus, here's what he's really saying, and this is what he's pushing in on. And you know, Paul, you'll read some of his letters, you'll see he's never afraid to tell the truth, even when it kind of stings. He's simply saying, I expect there to be a difference in your life. As a local body, there is, there's gotta be a difference with how you conduct yourselves in life, in the world around you, and especially in the local body with one another. I expect there to be some changes in your life. Which kind of goes back to where we started in the the video you saw just a minute ago about Rooted. Uh, Next week, going to launch into a series um, we're going to do for four, maybe five weeks. We'll go into a series called Rooted. And it felt really like an impression from the Holy Spirit that the Lord was saying and calling you and calling me as a local body. That somewhere between August and December, he was calling us in that six-month, five-month season to call us into getting Rooted. And I, I, I could preach on that because i was so filled with what he said over the break and felt like he was just calling us, calling you to get rooted. This is a season to get rooted. Why? Because he wants to see you grow. It's a calling to grow. It's a calling for you individually to grow and to abide and to get rooted in Christ. So we'll unpack that next week, go into a series, super pumped and excited about it. But here Paul is calling the church that there should be a difference in the way that they live because they knew the creator. They knew the one who made the world in which they lived. And so by default, the way they operate within the world should look differently, all right? So this is why he writes this in verse 18, or no, going back, sorry, write this in your notes, key truth, living differently for Christ begins in thinking differently about Christ. It all begins in the mind, begins in thinking differently. Because repentance, when a, uh, a sinner repents and turns to God, gives their lives to God, we know that the first step is to repent, which simply means to change the way you think. So change the way you think about God. Change the way you think about Jesus. Change the way you think about things. Change the way you think about him. This is repentance, okay? So he says, repentance changes with the change of mind. We see this in another Paul's letter in Romans twelve two. Or Paul writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing your mind, changing the way you think. Then you'll be able to test and improve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when a person is saved, who guides their life changes. This is Paul's point. I'm driving this in today. We've got to catch this. Paul says the thinking of the unsaved person, notice he says, is futile. The word futile, if you look it up, means useless. So I want you to go tell your friends who don't know Christ, your thoughts are useless. You know, This is what Paul would say. You're, you don't need to tell them that, but you can tell them Paul said that. But their thinking is futile and useless. Why? Because they don't know the creator, the one who made the world. And so they don't understand how to operate within the world that the creator made. So he's pushing on this. Your thinking should change. The way you think about life, the way you think about purchasing, the way you think about loving, the way you think about forgiving, the way you think about things should completely change because Christ is now living inside of you. That's his whole push. Living differently for Christ begins thinking differently about Christ. Verse 18, he pushes on. He says, they are darkened in their understanding. Notice the the language he's using their understanding, their thought life is darkened. They don't think the way you think and separated from the life of God. They're they're separate. They don't think the way you think because of the ignorance going back to the mind that is in them. There's ignorance in their minds because they don't have Christ inside of them, but you do. This is his push. It's due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. And then in verse 20, he makes it clear that this is not the way a believer or Christ follower should live. He says in verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life that you learned. Some translations will use the word that you learn, and it's not just with the E-D on the end. We'll talk about that in a second. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him, this is important, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Here's what I'm going to push on for just a minute. I won't spend too much time. But if you read different translations, and you should, I highly encourage reading different translations to try to extract uh, the depth, the little deeper meaning to what they're using and what they're trying to communicate. There's a learned Christ, this is what the, he says here, But I don't think that gives real full understanding because we also continue to learn about Christ. In other words, it's not that you can ever learn Christ and then you're done. We're always learning Christ and growing in Christ. So it just kind of depends on what translation you use. I would say it's more important to remember, though, that they learned about Christ and they're still learning Christ It's one thing to say, you know, I got to know Jesus. It's another thing to say, I'm continuing to get to know Jesus. This is what... Paul is trying to help them understand. How do we know that? Because the phrasing, in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So the more we get to know Christ, the more we get to know who he is, the more truth gets revealed inside of us, and the more we grow in our faith. It's a continuation process. Write this into your notes with that in mind. The better we understand the word of God, the better we understand the son of God. I use the word understand there because I want you to understand I'm not saying the more, the, the more you know the word of God, the more saved, the more Christian you are. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the word of God reveals the Son of God. So the more you understand the word of God, the more you understand the Son of God. The word and the acknowledgement of the Son, if you want to get to know Christ, the best thing you can do is get to know the word of God. And then you get to know the Son of God. That's how he gets revealed to us Verse twenty-two. Paul continues. He says, "You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put on your to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds." He's still with this whole mind thing, this whole thinking, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I Man, I think sometimes I just flew through that verse, and you're like, "What is it this?" Think about what he just said is so powerful. He says, the way that you think, your attitude, right, that determines your altitude. You've heard that. But Jesus says, like, your attitude, the way you think should be completely transformed. And you put on this new self, this new way of thinking, which is now, this is, just wrap your head when he's saying. Now it's created to be like God. Like, you're on your process to become, you're in a process to become like him, and this is his push and it's deep inside. And he's saying, this is so important. I read this phrasing that physically we are, what, you ever heard that phrase, you are what you eat? I don't know where we get that from. You are what you eat, you know. Spiritually, we are what we think. This is why we spend time in God's word. But if you go back into the series and at the very beginning, i want to put three words up because these are important to go back to. It's not just knowing God's word, it's speaking God's word that makes all the difference. We see that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's, But listen to me. This is so important. you got to grab this. It's not just the knowledge of the word. It's the declaration. It's the utterance. It's the spoken word. Three uh, words in Greek that we unpacked at the very beginning. Grafe, the written word. That's the book. And that's important because it starts there. you got to get to know the book. But then there's the logos, the meaning of the word. That's when you begin to study the word of God. And then you get meaning from it. But this is the third step that so many people miss, and I've seen so many people miss, I've missed, that we just forget that it's so important, the whole point of this whole series, which is why I thought, gosh, we got to come back to this whole thing. It's the spoken word. It's the rhema. It's the spoken word that makes the difference, which is the word that Paul writes in Ephesians chapter six when he talks about the sword of the Spirit. It's the spoken word. And when you speak God's word over your life or in your life, the Holy Spirit uses his weapon called the sword to go to work in your heart in order to make you like him. So if you don't speak it, he doesn't swing it. And if he doesn't swing it, you don't become more like him. All you have is useless knowledge. You have knowledge of him, but it's not doing anything. Do you see how important it is? Not that you memorize scripture so you can go and tell everybody, look at me, I know how to quote scripture so you can just spat off scripture verses to people. No, it's not a contest. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to go to work in your life. So taking verses and then saying those verses, not even just memorizing them for memory's sake, but taking those verses and then utilizing those verses in situations in your life all throughout the day Where you need to anchor in, you need the Holy Spirit to go to work in your life to make you more like him. Amen. I like to encourage myself in the Lord, and I keep asking God to give me somebody to shout amen in our church occasionally, and when you don't, I do. And like David, I've told you I encourage myself in the Lord. All right. Amen. I'm going to show you something kind of cool. Uh, I was um, on vacation, and and we were there. I learned about geodes. Anybody do this stuff or geodes? Who's not heard of geodes? In the back. Okay, put your hand up higher. Little well, geodes. Oh, I'm gonna throw. These are rocks. So. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just, okay. So, all right. So, geodes. Uh, I was. We were some with some friends and stuff, and on vacation, and then she's like, "Oh, these are geodes." And So, what geodes are? I like, guess you, you can order these on Amazon, and uh, National Geographic will send it to you. And I'm sure different places, but you can go. And, anyways, geodes is something I guess that people get into. Which I mean, I'm not knocking it. I think it's kind of cool. I, I would never probably buy them outside of a message illustration, but but everybody's got their own thing. But so, geodes are this this rock, and it's like a legitimate like heavy rock and then what you're supposed to do is you know you just kind of you just you hammer it and as you begin to hammer it you see like you know a little bit of dust comes off a little bit of the rock and on the outside by the way there's just you know nothing fascinating looks like a piece of concrete you know like nothing but if you keep hammering it how many of you've seen what's on the inside yeah, okay, so some of you, yeah, so the left room, you're the geologist of the church. But, okay, and if you just keep going, and I knew it was gonna take me forever, so I did this ahead of time, what you'll notice is, here, check this out. Here, come grab this, yeah. So you'll see this, uh, on the inside of this rock, and is diamonds. was <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I'm in my pocket, yeah. Hopefully he forgets that, I'm gonna get that back later, but, no, so, but you see these, like, Crystals inside, yeah. And, I, you know, maybe there's different colors. I'm not quite sure exactly the, the kind of level of these, but there's so many. I got like a, a box of them. But inside, you start to get these crystals, and it kind of takes on a new a beauty or a new look, and you kind of see on the inside. I, and I just saw that happening. And when they were doing these ge, geodes and uh, breaking these rocks, I thought, man, that's exactly what the Lord is doing to me. That's what he's been doing to me for a really long time. He just, like, chips at us over and over and over again. And it doesn't feel good always. And, man, it takes a long time to start to break apart. For some of us, we're really, really hard-hearted. And we're just like, no, no, no. And he just keeps going until we are reflecting his glorious image. And what Paul is telling this church in Ephesus, the people, it's not just like an organization, there's people. He's saying, you you started off this way. But now that you know Christ, he goes to work on your life. And there should be changes. And if you notice up here, change is happening right now. Every time I make a hit, it's no longer the same that it was. And, and for some, for some, and this is going to go into even next week, week, you just remove yourself from his hand so you don't get touched anymore. And he's saying that should never be the Christian. You are different, always being formed into his image until one day you will be just like him. Now, how many of you would say you got a long way to go? amen. Right? I and mean, we got a long way to go. There's not one of us is like, "No, nah, I'm a little further along than you. No, we are we got a long way to go. And Paul is pushing on, but there should be some changes. I should see some changes. And, and the change, this is so important, begins in your thinking. Notice he doesn't say in your action. Watch this. So one of the things we do is we say, hey, we should go to church because that's what, you know, that's an action you go to church. I'd say, no, 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 no. That's not the first step to learning about Christ. It's to change your thinking about why you go. It, it shifts everything. No, I don't go to church because it makes me a better Christian. No, I I've changed the way I think about why I go. And so why do I go? Why do I make, you know, being a part of groups? Why do I make serving a part of things? Why do I make giving a part of things a part of my life? Why do I do this? Because my thinking has changed. And so every part of my life has changed. This is what Paul is grabbing a hold of. And then he concludes this thought from Ephesians chapter 4. And you go into chapter 5, verse 1. And this is ultimately, he kind of summarizes it with this statement. But Paul could summarize Ephesians chapter 4, just memorize Ephesians 5.1. If you just memorize Ephesians 5.1, got the whole chapter 4 of Ephesians. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. The word follow simply means to mimic or imitate, and I'll put it into the NLT version, which uses the word imitate. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Man, I read that verse this week, and you ever read a verse and feel like someone slapped you? Has that ever happened? Okay, I I believe... That God, he's not like an abusive dad or nothing. No, no, but occasionally just a little love tap in your face. I, you know, you ever giving your kid a love tap? I don't love tap him in the face, but I do like to get my finger right under the armpit. You ever done that? And you just, hmm. You know, anybody ever like me, parent like that? Sometimes you can feel the wrath if you don't be quiet. All right, I do that to my youngest for sure. And his eyes tense up. I put two fingers right in the armpit and grab him. You know, so I feel like God does that to me sometimes. And when I read this verse, I thought, gosh, that is short. Oh, that is powerful. I imitate you in everything I do. And I'm telling you, when I read this and even I'm ready to speak it to you today, even this morning in prayer time, just thinking, gosh, what, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you imitate God in everything you do? It's in the back half of the sentence. Don't miss it. Because you're his child. And children imitate their parents. So when you know you're his child, you'll just begin to imitate him. When you're his child. When you realize and recognize that you've been adopted as sons and daughters into his family, you imitate dad. It's what children do of their parents. So you just take that back. You say, man, I'm a child, so I imitate him. And and I think it's important to write this down in your notes. Keep this in mind as we start to wrap up. To imitate Jesus, Paul calls the church to action as he, I would say, challenges you, challenges me, calls us to action individually and as a local body. We are imitators of God. When God's behavior towards us becomes our measure of behavior towards one another. Let that sink in, please. You want to become an imitator of God? Well, then just ask yourself is God's behavior the measure by which I determine how I treat one another? Those in my home, my kids, my neighbors, my coworkers, those inside my local body, family, how I treat them, how I share the weight with them, how I care for them, how I pray for them. Man, imitators of God. I'm certainly not saying that we are saved by being an example of Jesus. No, the goal is not to mimic Jesus just to be saved. No, no, no. When we are saved by his grace, we simply make the choice to believe he was who he said he was, and that he is God, and that he was sent by the Father to die for you and for me, and that he still lives and one day will come back to bring those home to all eternity. It's true. I believe that. And when that decision is made, we become adopted children into his family and when you recognize his love for you and understand his love for you, that you are a child of him, you will begin to mimic him. I was actually on a golf course on vacation and I shared this with the staff and in no way am I trying to take pride on myself and what I'm about to say. I'm just telling you this story that happened and I was like, I can't even express to you the feeling I had, certainly unworthiness, but almost like, man, look what God has done in my life. I was playing golf with this couple and God has his way of, I'm, I'm always trying to not have to, like, you know, talk to anybody on vacation. Uh, I'm just, I'm very introverted, and so I'm like, just leave me alone. But I was on a golf course, and I was by myself. And then the, my biggest fear as a golfer is when they put pair me up with people, you know, because they're like, oh, you're paired up. And I'm like, oh, help them just be terrible at golf, please. So, you know. But, of course, he always gives me people like professionals, you know. I'm like, okay. And then you're on that first backswing. Anybody ever been there? And you're like, oh, gosh, I'm trying to. All right, so. Anyways, I'm playing golf with this couple and uh and so she says, you know, and I I I can I just be honest in my church family. Yeah, thank you. Um she says, uh, "It's it's the it's the question I fear the most on vacation." She goes, "What do you do for a living?" <laughs> because you know, cuz then I got to hold myself to a standard, you know, and then uh <laughs> I can't throw clubs, you know, or anything. And uh but anyway, she says, yeah, so what do you do for a living? And God's always doing that to me. Said, okay, well, and I always think about lying. Oh, just you know, hang out, met, work at home, I don't know. And, but I um, uh, said, I'm a pastor of a church. She goes, I knew that. I could tell. I, I knew immediately I could tell. I go. Now, she proceeds to tell me, just wait, I, I said, you know, how do you know? I think. It was, how, did, how did you know that? She's like. I could just tell the way you talk the way you I could, I could just I could just feel it I could tell and there was a part of me that was like that's this weird and, but then there was this part of me that was like I don't even know how to say this the right way so this is going to come out a little wrong am I really like dad and there was a little bit of like excitement in me just trying to I'm trying to allow him to chisel at me so long that am I finally reflecting him And it felt kind of good. And it felt like, man, does does his radiance, like this his glory come through how I'm just living? And I I just thought, I'm I'm so glad. Like, it was this excitement, and almost like the father was kind of like, you know, proud of you. And, and, and for us, for us, and this is what Paul is saying. It's not like be like me. No, no, no. Like we're just allowing him to do this to us, and then we become like him, you know, reflecting his image. And that's Paul's declaration to us today is that we would just become more like him, imitate him in everything you do. How do you do that? Because I'm his child. And when I'm his child, that's who I mimic, my dad, my parents, my authority. He's my authority, so I mimic him. And there should be a change in my life as we give our life to Christ. Do you remember the bracelets? What would Jesus do? Anybody remember these bracelets? We have a picture of them. Do you remember these? Anybody in church? I'd be kind of I'd like tippy to into church in the 1990s. Do you remember these bracelets? Like kind of taking So this whole time I thought, man, you know, this is a 1990s thing. And then I was just doing some studying and reading and stuff like that and I found out, actually, Charles Spurgeon back in the 1860s or 70s did a sermon and he cited a guy named Thomas Kempis. You ever read this book or heard this book called The Imitation of Christ? Somewhere between 1440 and 1650, this was the second most translated book just behind the Bible in different languages. And he quotes this statement and he uses a sermon, Charles Spurges, and he quotes this book with the statement, what would Jesus do? So just in case you're wondering, it didn't originate in the 90s. It goes back to like the 1400s. But I'll challenge that and go, it goes back further, man. Paul's writing. Ephesians 5. What would Jesus do? Imitate God in everything you do. Because you are his dearly loved children. So, anybody want a copy of this book, by the way? Yeah, go. I feel like giving out some free things today. You want some geodes, too? (laughs) Really cool rocks. Worth nothing. You know, they only cost... Um, (laughs) um, It's amazing to me, you know? It's a great book. I started to read through it as well. It's, It's powerful. So, I want to invite you to do this. Swing the sword... Say it with me. I concluded every one of my talks this way. Ready? Read it with me. We're going to put it on the screen. And you're going to kind of more be a little louder on the ones that I've bolded. Okay, you ready? One, two, three. Here we go. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Let's do it again. Ready? Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Now, I want you to do something. And I want you to change the word used to eyes. Okay? Ready? Imitate God, therefore, in everything I do, because I am his dear child. Now, I want you to say it that way to yourself. Look at the screen, not me. I want you to read it that way. Personalize it. Allow the Holy Spirit to swing at your soul. Anybody feel challenged? Right here. Anybody else feel challenged at all? Goodness. Imitate God in everything I do. (laughs) I am his dearly loved child. Do you know what I've done? I'm his dearly loved child. And somehow when you start to wrap your head around the fact that you are his dearly loved child and he grabs a hold of your heart, and there's no one else that I would rather imitate than him. When I begin to realize, and I hope this for you, when you begin to realize, you are his dearly loved child. It's a powerful thing to understand. It's so important. Here's my prayer today, as we begin to close out in the band. You can come forward that you would anchor into this truth. Listen to me, as a Christian. As a person, if you are a person and you said, God, 100% is the savior of the world. If you're a person that says, I believe that Jesus was telling the truth when he said, I have come to pay for the sins of humanity. And one day I will return to bring you home with me for all eternity. I am your master. I am the rabbi. I'm the teacher. I'm God. Like if you believe that he's the way, the truth and the life, If you believe that, if you've said, yep, that is me, absolutely, as you embrace that truth, I'm telling you, it'll lead you to imitate him in every area of your life. But Then we also say, if you're a person who you have not made the decision to put Christ at the forefront of your life... Or maybe for a period of time in your life, you have just simply said, no, 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 not, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. But today, you want to like put yourself back into his hands and allow him to work at you, to perfect you, so that one day you would begin to represent and reveal his glorious image. I just want you to know that there's nothing you could do in your entire life to separate yourself from his love for you. He welcomes that back in open arms to perfect you, to create you, to make you into his glorious image. And let me just a little quick final thought on that. Especially for those of you who maybe never taken Christ as a savior or you don't understand what it means to be saved. You hear the term saved or salvation, you're like, I'm not even sure what that is. No one would say that's a pretty rock. Gosh, that's so beautiful. Look at it, you know? I just think this is a picture of what sin did. Prior to sin. Beautiful, made in a perfect image of God. No greed, no shame, no sickness, no death, no jealousy, no envy. Perfect human beings. Then sin comes in, and it covers who we were created to be. No longer beautiful, Now we're like messed up and got a lot of struggles and issues and battles we face. But God made a way for us to be restored back into this beautiful thing that sin tried to destroy. And he took the sins of you and me and put them on a cross so that we could be made perfect again in heaven one day with him for all eternity perfect humans back into his glorious image and the best news in the world today is you don't have to wait paul didn't say created to be like god one day when you get to heaven he says you could be like him today that process begins today and for some of you it's a decision you need to make today don't wait until he comes Today, it's like, I want to be put back into your hands. I want to be created to be like you. Amen. And the secret of all of that is just understanding that you're his dearly loved child. You are his dearly loved child. And I encourage you imagine with me for just a minute if you began to imitate him. Dads, think about how you could imitate him as a dad with your own children. How are you doing? Imitating him as a father. Imitating him as a husband to his bride. Wives, is the same. It's like, how do you imitate him? And the way you love your spouse, the way you care for your children. If you have a job, how do you imitate him about your day at work? Do you just like do the bare minimum, you know? Because that's how Jesus worked on the cross, just kind of give his bare minimum, you know? Do you imitate him at work, like giving your best to your job? I mean, just think about that. And if forgiveness or how you neighbor, how you befriend people, just 1990s, you know, or 1470s or even before, what would Jesus do?